We are, um, we are going to continue today in our message series. We've been in the book of Galatians for a while now, and we're going to continue. We've moved over the halfway point of the book. We're in chapter 4 and uh, verse 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find the book of Galatians. It's a, it's a six-chapter letter in the New Testament. And I invite you to, to start to find that now in your, in your Bible or on your device as, uh, as we get ready to get into talking about trust fund grace. Trust fund grace. I don't know if you, uh, those of you who are young, I bet you there's something you're looking forward to. Or those of us who are a little older, do you remember being young and, and looking forward to that key transitional event? For, for me, at least in, in my peer group, my generation, it was the driver's license. Uh, I, I've probably told you this before, but my mom took me out of school so I could go write my driver's test. She recognized this is more important than math and science. Amen. And it was fantastic. I mean, you know, at 16, you just strut out of school and say, yeah, I'm going to the DMV. <laughs> Only to find out later what a soul-crushing place the DMV is, but um, that's all right. Or maybe you're a, a little more nerdy than I was, and you were like so looking forward to vote at 18. You just want to be able to cast that ballot. That was your thing that you wanted to do at 18. Maybe you're one of those rare folks who had a big pile of money left to you, and uh, and you had to wait till you're 21 or 25 or 30 until you could you could touch that money, a, a trust fund that was left to you. Whatever it was, whatever event that you were looking forward to, whatever kind of uh, you know, rite of passage. There was a, a, a date or an age you had to wait to until the, the fullness of time, until the time was ready till you achieved that. And as we pick up in, in Galatians 4 today, Paul's going to carry on from where he left us last time. He had, he had dealt with this notion of, of the law that, that, you know, that, you know, that, that God's guidance and God's governance for us being like a foster parent to, kind of take care of us until our full adoption into the family of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. And our faith in Christ allows us to become a child of God, just as we were singing about a moment ago. Paul's now going to extend this metaphor a little further, this family metaphor, and he's going to talk about this idea of you know, like comparing believers to trust fund kids. Those kids who received an inheritance and it's managed on their behalf until the fullness of time when they can receive that. Um, and so we're going to read Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 for you. Galatians chapter 4. He writes this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's what it was like. Uh, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us or to redeem us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. 
And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. It's good words. Thank the Lord for his word this morning. So there's this series of relational shifts that happen for us when we come under grace. So you go from, you know, sin slavery to guardianship to full adoption with full inheritance rights in the family of God. So instead of worshiping God from a distance, think about, you know, the children of Israel as they left Egypt and they're trembling at the base of Mount Sinai, wondering if they can approach God. Instead of worshiping a distance, we're invited now into the intimate relationship of, of, of calling God not only Father, but Abba, which is like saying Papa, or it's kind of a more intimate term to, to speak of, of God our Father. And it's all possible now because of verse 4. Look, look at that verse 4 again. He says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. When the right time came, what made it the right time? Honestly, only God knows fully what, what that means. But the coming of Jesus is certainly a hinge point in history. We would have to agree. For example, every time you look at your calendar, you acknowledge Jesus, the year of our Lord, 2021. And I know now we don't say the year of our Lord. We're supposed to say common era and before common era. Well, what's the point, turning point between the before common era and the common era? It's the birth of Jesus. That's what everything is built on. That's our calendar. It reminds you again and again, Jesus is that hinge point. And so practically speaking, you know, the right time or the fullness of time um, could include some of the political realities of the day. You know, there was this convergence of global stability. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the, the stability that the Roman Empire brought by sort of an enforced peace, but, but it was a stable time in the world. Plus, you had this common language of Greek that around the, today around the world, you can get by in English pretty much anywhere. That day, it was, it was Greek. Then you also had this extensive Roman highway system. You could travel great, great distances in reasonable periods of time because of the Roman roads. Then you had this escalating kind of moral depravity of the day that really created a spiritual hunger in, in people, in the masses. And so you've got all these global events that are stacking up to empower the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus to all the world. So spiritually and practically, the time was right. When Jesus came, it was a, it was a significant key time, globally speaking. So again, Paul compares humanity to orphaned children, children of a wealthy family. Any good estate plan is going to identify the age at which children would receive their, well, would access their inheritance in the event of a parent's early demise. Let me just pause for a moment and make a little advertising plug. Um, if you do not have an estate plan, particularly if you have children, please take care of that. It is such a hassle for your loved ones if that's not taken care of, if that's not an order. And you think, well, we don't have much. Even if you have very little to nothing um, or debt or whatever, when you pass it on without a plan, it really is a burden to your to those that you leave it to. So please take care of that. Our church is part of something called the Mennonite Brethren Churches of the U.S. 
and we have a we have an agency called the Mennonite Brethren Foundation, and they will help you prepare a will and estate plan for free. It won't cost you anything to get all the preparation work done. It's tedious. You got to do it. It's just the responsible thing to do. You pay a lawyer to to help you finalize it all. But please take care of that. Okay, that uh, public service announcement was brought to you by Galatians chapter four. <laughs> all right, let's just say that 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 there's a ten year old orphan. Okay, receives $10 million as an inheritance. So the money is all theirs, but they don't get to access it until the will, the, will, the estate plan says so. So, the, so. so in the meantime, those funds are kept in a trust, and the trust is managed by a trustee. Paul's saying that's the equivalent of, that's what the law was. The law acted as the trustee for us until we could access the full grace of God. But even then, let's say at the age of 25 is the age they're set when they get the checkbook and they can write all the checks they want and do whatever they want. It's up to them to actually dip into those funds, to actually make use of those funds. Maybe the child grew up and got used to, to not really kind of having that and, and would, would live away from that. But it, it's theirs, and that part is faith, the, the access to all that God's given us, all his resources. We access our authority in Christ by our faith in Jesus. And so if you're taking notes today, you could write this one down. Because of faith, every person is a potential child of God. Listen, every person is potentially a child of God. Every person is a potential child of God. See, if you're not a believer in Jesus, meaning if you've not yet made Jesus the Lord, the leader, the boss, right, of your life, then you're not yet in the family of God. In fact, it's worse than that. You're not nothing. The Bible says you're actually a slave. You're in, you're in slavery either to religion, what Paul calls law, working hard, doing good things, trying to measure up, right? Or you're a slave to sin, just doing your own thing, doing whatever you feel like, just living for yourself, and, and, and instead, you have the potential here to become a child of God by faith, to leave that slavery because of God's great love for you, because God's made you, you're precious to him. He's, he's gone to great lengths to rescue you. And Paul uses this phrase here. He says, you know, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world, or literally, the, the word literally in the Greek is the elements. Well, there's some discussion about, well, what does that actually mean? What does the elements mean? It, it means there's, there's this kind of basic worldview. I think it means the kind of the basic worldview or the basic understanding uh, of, uh, of, you know, live out, live life for yourself. Look out for number one. Make your own choices. Uh, try to minimize your, your risks. Try to, you know, um, you know, you make your decisions, whether it's out of self-protection or self-preservation or, or fear or whatever it is. That's kind of a basic worldview looking out for number one. Or basic elements could also mean these, the sense of their understanding of the day that the world was built on this view of gods and demons and spiritual powers. You know, you think about the, the Roman pantheon of gods and the Greeks before them, all these gods that governed the world around them. That's how they explain the world. The, the point of all that is Paul saying is that most people will live by the status quo of what the world expects of them. What, what, you know, how they're, they're, they're governed is, is by what's kind of the basic 
worldview. We're slaves to the basic elements. Now, good news is that even a slave, even a slave is loved by God, created by God, made in the image of God. This is what, what makes human trafficking and, and slavery of an earlier history so horrendous that it denied someone the, the, the reality of their identity as an, as an image bearer of God. Every child of God used to be a slave. We were formerly slaves, he says, whether to the law or whether to, to demons. So as a former slave, my goal now is to, to share the good news, to help others out of the slavery that they are in, to rescue them. I have to speak the truth. I have to, 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 to identify the, the chains that are hanging off somebody if I'm going to be responsible with the freedom I've received. I can't ignore that. If I have no heart to see the sinner rescued, then I may not yet even be living in freedom myself. But truly, we don't do the rescuing. We invite the slave to find freedom by, by trusting in God. God does the work of rescue. When you think about that loved one you're praying for, God is going to do the work. It's God who rescues. It's God who restores. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 is God sent him, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us, or literally to redeem us, to buy us, right, who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. You think about Maybe in those ancient times, there'd be a, a slave market, and you think about God is, is the purchaser saying, I'm buying that one and that one and that one so I can set them free. That's the, that's the image here of, of God's redemption for those of us who are in slavery. And I don't know if you caught what's happening here. It's, it's, it's that the Father sent the Son to make us children of God, and then he sent the Spirit to confirm our adoption. So Father, Spirit, and Son are working together. The whole Trinity is in on your rescue and your deliverance. You could put it in, put it this way. If you're if you're taking notes today, you could write it down this way. Our adoption, or my write on my adoption, is the is a long one. Is the coordinated work of the Trinity. My adoption into the family of God is the coordinated work of the Trinity. Well. What do you say? Well, the, the reality is that God wants you in his family. He's, he's gone to great lengths to, to get you there. He's doing everything possible. Your, the faith is your part of it and God does all the rest. See, when I, when I say, you know, my adoption is the coordinated work of the Trinity, I'm saying that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are on the same page when it comes to salvation. God doesn't work against himself. Remember, we said there's no good cop, bad cop routine with God. It's all good cop. In fact, it's not even cop. It's just good. Right? First Timothy chapter 2 says, God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. That's the heart of God. It's to rescue, restore, redeem, deliver. Think, think about it this way. We're at the lake. A, a little boy falls into the lake. 
three fisher men, three fisher people, three anglers, three anglers are in a boat. And uh, the boy is obviously going to drown. Of those three anglers, one spots the boy and calls out, hey, that kid needs help. One angler pilots the boat around to where they can get to the boy. And one angler scoops the boy up and into the boat. Now, which fisherman, which angler rescued the child? All three. All three. Right? That's the work of God. Working together. A coordinated effort. So that's why we have this in verses 5 and 6 that, that God sees our need and he creates a plan. Jesus obeys his father, goes to the cross for our sin, to pay the price for our rescue. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of our need, makes us aware of our sin, and then indwells the believer to seal our adoption as children of God. So it's this coordinated work of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just would caution you, never, ever, ever, fall into this mistake or this trap that, that sometimes has happened in churches to say, well, I believe in God and then reject Jesus or worse to reject the Holy Spirit. I was born into a church that that loved God and was faithful in so many ways and yet when it came to the Holy Spirit, they rejected, said, no, we, we don't want the Holy Spirit. The church doesn't exist today. You You, you can't say, you know, for example, another way to say this, you, you, I think you'd be offending God if you said, well, I, I, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church very much. The, the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. If I said to my wife, well, I, I like your face and I like your hair, but I don't like the rest of you. Can you imagine? I would, I, I wouldn't even be sleeping on the couch tonight. I'd be, I'd be sleeping right here on the grass, right? Thankfully, I, no pity. She's right. I love the whole package. And the same way is true. When, when, when you consider what God has done, recognize that God is at work. Jesus was obedient. The Holy Spirit is present. And we welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit here with us on earth. That's the good news. That's the good news. Finally, when, when, while well, everyone who sought God before, people who were kind of interested in, in God, were really trust fund kids in the care of the law before Jesus came. Jesus was born under the law, so he was subject to the law, and then he fulfilled the law. He made our adoption possible by his death on the cross. We can now say the time is fulfilled. The time of our freedom is here. So if you're taking notes, you could write this, this one down. Freedom is our inheritance now. Freedom is our inheritance now. Or you can personalize it. Freedom is my inheritance right now. You see, verse 7 says, Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Read it again. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Freedom is now. What do we mean by freedom? Well, we, we sang about it. Freedom from fear. 
Freedom from trying to be good enough for God. Freedom from, from how others judge you. Freedom from sin's hold on your life. From slavery to freedom. That's what we're talking about. You think about slavery in those days. A slave could not make their own decisions. But an adopted child has the run of the house. Right? A slave would not approach the master directly. Unless beckoned, perhaps. While a child can approach the parent at any time. You think about a slave would not be able to make decisions on behalf of the master while a child is authorized to act on behalf of the parent. So if all the wealth of God's grace and God's mercy is yours now as a free child of God, it's also ours. That's okay. Things can be fixed. Don't worry about that over there. All right. If all the wealth of God's grace and mercy is ours now, it's also ours to freely give away to others. It really is. You can show kindness and grace and mercy and generosity to people no matter where they're at, no matter what they're doing now, no matter how lost they may appear to be. You can show all of that to them because you've got to understand they don't know better. They're still slaves to the basic principles of this world and to sin. So we want to be ready to, to share what God's given to us in his inheritance. I'll share a little a story with you. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was traveling back uh, from Salt Lake City, and I was in the airport. It was a late flight coming out Sunday night. And uh, it's a long, the air, they've made a bunch of changes to the airport. So it's a long, long walk. And we're walking through and walking, walking. And there's this, this woman, uh, she's an older woman. She's got two little grandkids with her, and she's in obvious distress. She's having trouble breathing. She's having trouble walking. And uh, she's clearly kind of melting down. And so uh, so I stopped and she said, hey, you know, do you need help? Can we help you? She, she said, oh, i got to get to my gate. And I'm like, well, let's see what we can do for you. Let's help you. Give me your boarding passes. And give me your bag. So I'm carrying her bag. I'm carrying my bag. I'm carrying her boarding pass. I'm looking at the time like, okay, here's where we got to go. Let's start moving. And the time is pretty tight. I'm like, well, we should be okay if we just move. And so we start moving along. And we get to a point where you're halfway. And then it says seven minutes to the entrance to the next terminal. And I thought, well, I've got four minutes to get seven minutes, and then the other minutes beyond that. We are in trouble. This woman's not going to make her flight. And so um, I, I just said, you know what? Um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you your bag back, and here's your boarding passes. I'm, I'm going to see if they'll hold the plane for you. So I take off running. You know that guy you see in the airport that's sprinting? You're like, really? You couldn't get to the airport on time just to catch a plane? Really? You had to cut it? I'm like, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm here early. And I'm running through and I finally get to the gate. And they're like, come on, you're the last one. I'm like, I'm, I'm also way out of shape, I discover. It's not me. And I and then I try to explain this, this woman. She's having a hard time. Grandkids need to get here. Wait, please. And well, sure enough, we actually managed to stall things enough that she could get there and she's exasperated and exhausted and you know before i'd left it felt like the spirit had just prompted me to keep a little gospel of john in my backpack and i i just said hey listen when things settle down and you're calm and you can breathe again just start reading this there's good news in here god loves you he's not forgotten about you obviously there's a lot going on but jesus is there just call on him he wants to be with you i tucked it in her bag and sent her off on her way Listen, 
I didn't have to do that. And I'm not sharing that. I didn't also didn't say, oh, if I help these people, and I've got a good sermon illustration. I didn't do that either. That's not why I did that. Right? I had nothing to gain from that interaction. I could have walked by and said, oh, that's too bad. Should have planned ahead. I mean, right? I could have had any of those attitudes going in. I figured out in the course of trying to talk to the grandkids that there was something traumatic happening in their family and they had to get to that plane. And so I knew that it was serious. But because I took a moment to spend a little of my inheritance of grace and kindness and mercy on this person, she has a slightly better chance of stopping and giving her life to Christ. There's a greater possibility of that now than before. Because I spent a little of the inheritance. God's given you a great inheritance. It's not for you to hoard and not for you to keep for yourself. And when you live open-handed, when you live with a readiness to say, Spirit, guide me today, direct me today, there's going to be somebody you're going to say, hey, can I just pray for you right now? Or somebody's going to say, uh, let me buy that lunch for you. Or somebody is just going to say, hey, let me, let me help load those groceries into your car. It might be something as small as that. It might be something much bigger than saying, I'm, I'm going to be with you all the way through this cancer diagnosis. It, I don't know what it's going to be, but there's something where you will say, Holy Spirit, guide me today. And he will cause you to spend your godly inheritance for others. You won't use it up. Trust me. It won't, it, you, you won't run out. That's the invitation that we're, that we're receiving here. And of course, there's a lot of joy that you get in doing that. Listen, every person, every person is an adoption, is a candidate for adoption into God's family. Everybody. But how do they get there? By faith in Jesus. By trusting in Christ. By believing that what God has done for them is actually for them. Actually for them. So when you start there, and maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you've not yet become a part of God's family. You say, yeah, but i got a mess to clean up. Let me clean up my mess first, and then I'll come to Jesus. Let me deal with this sin before I come to Jesus. I, I've got a really big sin over here. Let me, let me put an end to that, and then I'll come to Jesus. You know what? That doesn't work that way. The same thing for your friend or your loved one who's who's not living for the Lord right now. They're not living in a way that's God-pleasing. And why would they? They're not walking with Jesus. They haven't been adopted into the family yet. And so it begins by saying, come as you are, and then let Jesus take care of the mess. Let Jesus work on that. It, it, it could be a lifetime, as we talked about last week. Jesus promised, he says, you know, I've begun a good work, and I'm going to bring it to completion. That's what he says in his word. But the completion comes when Jesus returns. So guess what? It's a long haul. It's a long haul. If your faith's already in Christ, then let people see it. Let people see that you're you're rich in God's wealth, kindness, grace, mercy, love, compassion. If you're not in the family of God yet, or or you've got a, a loved one, a friend, a coworker that you know they're they're ready, they're they're interested, they're seeking. So whether it's you or, or, or someone that you know, it's Randy, we just say it's it's a kind of a simple way to remember this. We say A, B, C. A is to admit. I admit I'm a, a sinner and I need saving. B is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sin and rose again. 
C is to commit your life to follow him for all your days. It might be you. It might be a friend of yours. So it's, an, it's an easy way to remember it. But the good news is that as you do that, the promise is the Holy Spirit indwells you so that you can live in the wealth and the richness of what God's given to you. Trust fund kid that now has access to all the resources. Start writing those checks. Start writing those checks. God, we really want to thank you for the, for this truth and this simple illustration. Living under trusteeship before, but now we're, we're fully adopted into your family with access to all your resources. And God, I just want to say, I just ask you, forgive me for the times I've been so stingy with all that you've given me. God, we want to be known as a people and as a place and as a church that's it's the place to go for all the riches of God's goodness. And Lord, for the person that's just struggling to trust you right now, really struggling to, to believe that you really will accept them and really will love them, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit just blows like that breeze right into their heart today. Yes, to convict them of sin, but also to help them understand righteousness in Christ. Thank you for your great, great love for us. Pray in Jesus' name.